Hi, good morning, or good afternoon, or good evening. I don't know what time it is for you, but I hope you had a great week. I've been sick for like three weeks. I think my voice is returning to normal, but it's not 100% there yet. So if I sound a little bit male, that's why. My voice has just been, it's just been dragged through the mud the last few weeks. So I'm gonna do the best I can. Welcome back to the story of I'm Reagan Snyder. I'm so glad you're here. Back in the summer of 2014, there was a family named by the name of the Broadduses, the Broaddus family, Derek and Maria, and their, I think, two or three young kids. And they bought their dream home. They finally moved up enough that they're able to buy their dream home. It was at the address 657 Boulevard. And it was this $1.3 million Dutch colonial style home. And it was in this very quiet, coveted neighborhood called Westfield, New Jersey. It it had about 30,000 people. And the house was over 3,800 square feet. And it had six bedrooms. And not only was the house beautiful, it was just the location of it. It was in this really great neighborhood. It was a well-to-do neighborhood. It was just a few blocks from where Maria had grown up. And it just, to them, it just seemed like the perfect place to raise their family. So they're so excited. They have their dream home. And and it's in this great town. Uh, the residents of Westfield compared their town to Mayberry which is like this ideal town uh, from the Andy Griffith show. That's where the the show is set in this awesome town. And so everybody compared it to Mayberry. Anyway, so it's about 45 minutes from New York. So it's close enough for the excitement when you need it, but it's far away enough to settle down and raise a family. And the people there are pretty friendly. They're, you know, they're the type to welcome you to the neighborhood with a pie or cookies or whatever. And just like in the movies, Derek grew up working class in Maine. And after climbing the ladder at his insurance company that he worked at in Manhattan, he was now the senior vice president. And so now he was able to afford this beautiful home. They couldn't wait to move in, but before they did, they wanted to make some renovations to the house. So They had it, they had the keys, but they were just kind of chipping away at moving in. So every day they would visit the house, they would move some boxes in and, you know, they're painting and they had people, contractors and stuff doing renovations. And then one night in June, I think just a couple weeks after they got there, Derek had spent the evening painting in the new house. I think he was there alone and he was wrapping up. He was getting ready to head home and, and go back to his family And he decided to check the mailbox. And inside, he found this white envelope that was addressed to the new owner. And it was in this thick, kind of clunky handwriting. And so he he grabs it and goes inside and he, he opens it up. And it said, Dearest new neighbor at 657 Boulevard, allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood. How did you end up here? Did 657 Boulevard call to you with its force within? 657 Boulevard has been the subject of my family for decades now, and as it approaches its 110th birthday, I have been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. 
My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s, and my father watched in the 1960s. It is now my time. Do you know the history of the house? Do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? Why are you here? I will find out. I see already that you have flooded 657 Boulevard with contractors so that you can destroy the house as it was supposed to be. Tsk, tsk, tsk. Bad move. You don't want to make 657 Boulevard unhappy. You have children. I have seen them. So far, I think there are three that I have counted. Are there more on the way? Do you need to fill the house with the young blood I requested? Better for me. Was your old house too small for the growing family? Or was it greed to bring me your children? Once I know their names, I will call to them and draw them to me. Who am I? There are hundreds and hundreds of cars that drive by 657 Boulevard each day. Maybe I am in one. Look at all the windows you can see from 657 Boulevard. Maybe I am in one. Look out any of the many windows in 657 Boulevard at all the people who stroll by each day. Maybe I am one. Welcome, my friends. Welcome. Let the party begin. Signed, The Watcher. It was fairly late at this time, so I'm sure getting a letter like that while you're by yourself and this creepy stalker person is, has been watching you, I'm sure it was scary. It was like after 10 p.m. So Derek's creeped out. He's calling the police. He's running around the house, just shutting all the blinds and curtains and just trying to hide out, turning off the lights all that so nobody can see inside. An officer came to the house and Derek explained what was going on. And he, he handed the officer the letter and the officer read it and he's like, what is this? And there really wasn't any, anything he could do. All he could really do is just ask Derek if he had any enemies. He recommended moving a piece of construction equipment that was out on the, I think it was sitting on the back porch, just in case whoever wrote this tried to throw it through a window. So that's really all the headway he made there. After the officer left, Derek got back into his car and headed back to their old house that they were moving out of. And he told his wife about what happened and she's creeped out too. So they went ahead and emailed John and Andrea Woods, which were the couple that they bought the house from. And the Woodses had lived there, I think, for a couple decades. And, and they just were like, hey, we got this weird letter did you ever get anything like this? They were like, actually, yeah, we did get one letter. It came a few days before we moved out, and it said something about the Watcher's family observing the house, and it, it was odd, but they didn't really give it much thought. They just threw it out, and, you know, they're moving anyway, and it was just kind of random. They didn't think much of it. John and Andrea ended up going with Maria to the police to tell Detective Leonard Lugo about what was going on, and he told them not to tell anyone about the letters because now, you know, everyone around them were suspects now and they didn't want to tip anybody off. And so Derek and Maria are obviously on high alert. Derek had canceled a work trip so that he didn't have to leave his family alone, and anytime he took the kids to the house with him, they kept them in close proximity. If they ran too far away, they would call them back. And they were just very, very on edge with this whole thing. And at one point, they were showing a couple on their new block that the renovations that they were doing to the house. And I think the wife said, oh, it'll be nice to have some young blood in the neighborhood. And so Derek and Maria were like, Whoa. they tensed up at that. But I don't, <laughs> I don't know. 
I don't think she was anything to do with that. I just think that was just a, just a coincidence. But the letters were not just letters. It seemed that the threats were being taken beyond the letters. The contractor who was working on the house came to the house one morning to get to work and found that this heavy sign that he had hammered into the yard had been ripped out. It was just kind of petty, but okay. One day, about two weeks after getting the first letter, Maria stopped by the house for just for a couple different things. And she checked the mail, and again, there was a white envelope in that thick handwriting, and she called the police right away. And in this letter, the watcher addressed them by name, by Mr. and Mrs. Broadus. And this one was a lot more personal. It was a lot creepier because the watcher named their kids in birth order, not just by their first name, but by their nicknames. And he addressed one of them in particular. He asked if she was the artist of the family because she, the watcher, he or she, had seen her using an easel, which was kind of, it was on the side of the house in this enclosed porch was where this easel was, where she was painting. And it was obscured from the street. It was hidden by like plants and bushes and stuff. And so the only way that they could have seen what she was doing and seen inside is if they were right next door or behind the house. The letter went on to say, 657 Boulevard is anxious for you to move in. It has been years and years since the, the young blood ruled the hallways of this house. Have you found all of the secrets it holds yet? Will the young blood play in the basement? Or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. Will they sleep in the attic? Or will you all sleep on the second floor? Who has the bedrooms facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. It will help me to know who is in which bedroom. Then I can plan better. All of the windows and doors in 657 Boulevard allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. Who am I? I'm the watcher and have been in control of 657 Boulevard for the better part of two decades now. The Woods family turned it over to you. It was their time to move on and kindly sold it when I asked them to. I pass by many times a day. 657 Boulevard is my job, my life, my obsession. And you are too, Broadus family. Welcome to the product of your greed. Greed is what brought the past three families to 657 Boulevard, and now it has brought you to me. Have a happy moving in day. You know I'll be watching. Creepy, right? So creepy. So after this letter, Derek and Maria were starting to realize the severity of this situation because now he's talking about their kids. And so they stopped bringing their kids around the house and they just didn't, they didn't know what they were going to do. And Derek, I mean, with everything going on with this, Derek was spiraling and he was just like this depressed mess. So they went from like this super high, high where they were the ones who were able to buy this house. I think the Woods got multiple offers on the home. It was built in 1905. It was on the block. It was one of the most beautiful homes. And like I said, the location was amazing. And so the Broadduses got it. And then this happens. And a few more weeks went by. They didn't hear anything. But then they did. They got another letter. And Derek initially thought, hey, you know, maybe this is a person who had bid 
on the house and lost out to us, and maybe they're just upset over losing it. But Andrea Woods said that there was one interested buyer that backed out after getting like a bad medical diagnosis. And then there was another buyer who ended up going with another house. So it didn't really seem like that was the case that somebody was maybe jealous over missing out. So they started brainstorming with Andrea, who sounds super kind. Andrea sounds like, hey, we, I want to help you. I'm so sorry this is happening. We had no idea. And uh, they came up with another theory. And they thought that maybe it was a neighbor because the letters were processed in northern New Jersey and the first one was postmarked on June 4th, which was before the sale was even public. And on top of that, the Woodses had never even put a for sale sign up. So it had to be somebody kind of in the know. A few days after they had gotten the first letter, Derek and Maria and their kids all went to this welcome to the neighborhood barbecue for that they threw for them and another new neighbor on the block. And they hadn't told anyone about the letters, but they were on high alert. They're scanning the party for clues. They're keeping very, very close tabs on their kids. And John Schmidt, who was a neighbor two doors down from the Broadus's new house, was filling Derek in on who was who in the neighborhood. And he mentioned the Langfords. And the Langfords lived right in between. They're the house right in between the Broadus's and the Schmidt's. And John said that they're just a little odd. Peggy Langford was, I think, the matriarch. She was in her 90s. And a few of her kids who were all grown, they're old, like older in their 60s, all lived with her. And one of the younger Langfords who lived there was Michael. And Michael didn't work. John described him as a Boo Radley kind of character. So he was a little bit odd. And after this conversation, Derek rolled what, you know, this new information around in his head a little bit. And he thought that it must be somebody who was living in the Langford house who was writing these letters. It had to be. They were right next door. They could see into the enclosed porch. And they had lived in the house, in that house since the 60s, which matched up with what the watcher said about his father observing the house. And police actually already knew about the Langfords. And they had actually already interviewed Michael, who denied knowing anything about the letters. And there wasn't really any hard evidence against him. So after a few weeks, the police chief told the Broadduses, you know, there's not anything we can really do. I'm sorry. But Derek was like, "They, this person, whoever this is, is threatening my family that this isn't okay. I have to get to the bottom of this. After the second letter came, he told police that if they didn't take care of it, that they would have another kind of case on their hands. And you know what? That's fair. They're threatening this man's family. So without much help from the police... The Broadduses were pretty much on their own, and Derek became obsessed with catching this person. He set up webcams, and he would spend nights crouched down in the dark to see if anyone was watching the house that in close proximity that he could see. And he, he never, there was never anything. He ended up making this whole stack of documents about the case from, I mean, he had, so the copies of the letters, he had a map with markings written on it of when each neighbor moved into the neighborhood. He had overlays that marked possible sight lines for the easel, for to see the easel, and a circle for approximate range of earshot to figure out who may have heard Maria yelling their kids' names. I mean, this man, Derek, is going in deep. 
And there were a few homes that fit all the criteria, but he still wasn't any closer to figuring out who the watcher was. So Derek and Maria decided that they were going to hire a private investigator. And he staked out at the neighborhood and ran back background checks on the Langfords, but he got nothing out of that. No new information. So they enlisted the help of these former FBI agents, two of them to conduct a threat assessment, which included analyzing the speech in the letters. And they recognized some old-fashioned tics because the way the watcher wrote was kind of weird. It was, like, almost eloquent. I mean, the greetings always included some mention of the day's weather, and the sentences were double-spaced, so it was typed up. And they also took note that the letters didn't have any profanity in them. And considering how angry this person was, they took that to mean this person was a quote-unquote less macho writer. And although the FBI agents didn't think that this person would follow through with any of, any of the threats in the letters, they also noted that these letters were probably written by somebody who they thought was a voracious reader, but there were quite a few typos and errors, and so to them that implied erraticism. And really, you just never know. Like, maybe it's just a threat. Maybe they'll follow through. I mean, you don't know who this person is. You can't assume. It's better to be safe than sorry. It was also clear to them that this person was put off by all the money that was moving into town. In one of the letters, the watcher said, The house is crying from all of the pain it's going through. You have changed it and made it so fancy. You are stealing its history. It cries for the past and what it used to be in the time when I roamed its halls. The 1960s were a good time for 657 Boulevard when I ran from room to room imagining the life with the rich occupants there. The house was full of life and, and young blood. Then it got old and so did my father, but he kept watching until the day he died. And now I watch and wait for the day when the young blood will be mine again. That is so creepy. The Broadduses noticed that their neighbors behind their house kept a couple of lawn chairs kind of weirdly close to their property. And there was one day that their painter who was working on the house noticed that there was this old guy sitting in one of the chairs and he was facing their house. But even though that's kind of weird, they were sure that one of the Langfords was behind this. And in cooperation with the police, they decided to send out a letter to the Langfords announcing that they were planning on tearing down the house. And by doing this, they're hoping that they would get some kind of immediate reaction because this watcher person obviously does not want that. But nothing happened. Detective Lugo did bring Michael Langford in for a second interview. And that, again, led them nowhere. And in fact, his sister Abby started to accuse the police of harassing them. So the Broadduses had to go to their next plan and they ended up hiring a lawyer who met with the Langfords and filled them in on what was happening. And it was this really tense meeting, but the Langfords stuck by Michael and they insisted that he was innocent. He had no part in this. And according to Michael's brother, Sandy, Michael had schizophrenia. And so he did strange things. The neighborhood kind of knew him as a strange guy, but overall harmless. And people really didn't think he was capable of writing those letters. So the Broadduses went from buying and getting ready to move into their dream home to this living nightmare. Every waking moment for them was just very stressful, and they were worried about something happening to their kids. 
After just a few months of investigating who this might have been, they were completely out of leads. It kind of went cold. And without any other options, Derek asked his priest to come over, hear the story, and bless his house. And then they had an alarm installed on the house, which took a few months, which is weird because this is 2014. I don't know. Alarms have been around for a long time. Why did it take a few months? Anyway, just the thought of them moving in filled them with so much fear and anxiety. And so now this, what was this beautiful dream home for them, turned into this site of their anxieties and nightmares. So they don't really know what they're going to do at this point. Derek started looking into getting trained German shepherds, and he started to look for a military veteran to just come be by by the house. All they had to do was come work out in the backyard every day. But at the end of the day, they didn't want to feel bunkered in a fortress, which I think is the craziest part of this story because bunkered in a fortress is my personal dream home. But okay. Derek responded to occasional alarms at the house, sometimes in the middle of the night. And so he would bring a knife. I wish I had more information on that because what was setting the alarms off and why was he the one responding? I don't know. The next letter they got said, 657 Boulevard is turning on me. It's coming after me. I don't understand why. What spell did you cast on it? It used to be my friend and now it's my enemy. I'm in charge of 657 Boulevard. It is not in charge of me. I will fend off its bad things and wait for it to become good again. It will not punish me. I will rise again. I will be patient and wait for this to pass and for you to come and for you to bring the young blood back to me. 657 Boulevard needs young blood. It needs you. Come back. Let the young blood play again, like I once did. Let the young blood sleep in 657 Boulevard. Stop changing it and let it alone. And the Broadduses were like, All right, you've convinced us. Just kidding. They didn't do that. But I feel like maybe if this person stopped calling their kids young blood, maybe that would get them somewhere. I don't know. Anyway, the the Broadduses had just sold their old house. And instead of moving into this stalker nightmare house like they were supposed to, they moved in with Maria's parents and they kept paying the mortgage and property taxes at this new house. And their fears were so intense that it was trickling into their lives, even when they were not at the house. They were having to take sleeping pills just to get a few hours of sleep. Maria was always on the brink of tears and it became clear to them that nothing was going to change until they got rid of the house because there was just too much emotional trauma wrapped up in it for them. And that obviously was way easier said than done because this once very coveted neighborhood had rumors swirling around it and nobody wanted to be a part of it. There were a few offers initially, but they were all well, well below asking price and they just were not ready to take that hit. They had just put $100,000 worth of renovations into this house on top of the $1.3 million price tag. So they just weren't ready for that. So they took it off the market and they filed a legal complaint against the Woodses for not disclosing the letter before they bought it. In my opinion, that was a stupid move because the Woodses were your homies and they seemed like they were really trying to help you. And this, I don't know, this just... 
This, I think, is the theme that put a lot of theories into place, which we'll get into. The story of what was going on with them in the house went viral, and soon there were news vans outside their house. They had over 300 media requests, but at the advice of a crisis management consultant, they chose not to speak on it, for this, mostly for the sake of sparing their kids more attention than they were already getting. They're just trying to protect their kids at this point. So with all this going on, they ended up totally leaving Westfield, and they moved into a friend's house on the beach. But people all over the internet were theorizing. They were calling the Broadduses wimps for not moving in. And people in Westfield, because of all this, found themselves scared and anxious, and they're locking their doors, which you should do anyway. But again, okay. The police assured everyone that they had done an exhaustive search, but... That was weird because they didn't talk to all of the neighbors who were close to the house. So how could that have been an exhaustive search? A DNA sample had been taken from one of the envelopes and an analysis showed that the DNA belonged to a woman. So they looked closer at Abby Langford, but she was cleared. So they were at square one. And Derek, who's doing everything he can behind the scenes, was trying to get in touch with a hacker who would be willing to break into the Wi-Fi networks in the neighborhood to look for anything incriminating, but that was illegal. And he was like, maybe not. So he didn't do that. Instead, he took one of the envelopes and walked around the neighborhood, knocking on doors and hoping that somebody might recognize the writing on the envelopes. Got him nowhere. He hired a forensic linguist And this linguist looked through online forums in search of any similar style of writing, but he didn't find any. uh, Derek hired a company to look for handwriting matches. Nothing. They were coming up with nothing. And I don't know how police missed this, but there was another family on the street who had gotten a similar letter right around the same time that the Broadduses did, but they just threw it away like the Woods did. They thought it was weird, but they they didn't really care. Their kids were grown and they just didn't really seem concerned by it. There was one night that the detective who was on the case and his partner were parked and they were sitting in the back of a van on the street watching the house. They had their binoculars and around 11 p.m. this car stopped in front of the house. It was kind of suspicious. They were able to trace the car back to a younger woman who lived in a town nearby But her boyfriend lived on the same block as the Broadduses. And when they talked to to the girlfriend, she told the detectives that her boyfriend was into some, quote, really dark video games, end quote. And one of the characters he played as was called The Watcher. I feel like they have their guy. That's just too much of a coincidence. They figured that maybe the female DNA that they found on the letter could be somebody helping this guy. But on two separate occasions, after agreeing to come in for to come in for an interview, the boyfriend didn't show. He just bailed on the interviews and they didn't have enough evidence to make him come in. And so they dropped him. They didn't look further into him. Blows my mind. And why was the car parked in front of their house for so long being suspicious? It just feels like whoever this dude is, it was him. Anyway... I'm not a detective. So in the end, the Broadduses never moved in, but they still had this mortgage on their hands. And in 2016, 
couple years had gone by, they decided to put it back up on the market in hopes that now that, you know, some time had passed, they hadn't gotten any letters, maybe they could sell it for what they were asking for. And they were forthcoming with the letters, and they agreed to show them to anybody who was serious about buying the house. But every time someone seemed interested, they would back out after reading the letters. So the Broadduses moved on to plan B and hoped that they could either rent it as a halfway house or sell it to a developer for about a million dollars and they could tear down the house and build two separate properties on it. And so initially this seemed like it might work, but the Westfield Planning Board would have to grant an exception because if they were to split the lots into two, the one would be 67.4 feet wide and the other would be 67.6 feet wide and there is a 70 foot mandate so they had to go on and have this hearing they discussed it at a planning board meeting and there were over 100 residents that showed up and they all just gave them hell they did not want to grant this family this exception and after a three-hour hearing they didn't and they were no closer to getting out of this house finally shortly after this meeting where they were rejected for, you know, their millionth plan, their luck turned a corner and a family with grown kids and two big dogs agreed to rent the house. But I mean, the Broadduses were taking a loss for it, but it was better than nothing. The renter didn't really seem worried about the watcher, but there was a clause in the lease that would let them out if there was another letter. Two and a half years after that first letter came, another one showed up for the new renters. It said, violent winds and bitter cold to the vile and spiteful Derek and his wench of a wife, Maria. You wonder who the watcher is? Turn around, idiot. Maybe you even spoke to me. One of the so-called neighbors who has no idea who the watcher could be. Or maybe you do know and are too scared to tell anyone. Good move. It made mentions of the media coverage, saying, I walked by the news trucks when they took over my neighborhood and mocked me. And it also made mentions of Derek's initiative to find the Watcher's identity, saying, I watched as you watched from the dark house in an attempt to find me. Telescopes and binoculars are wonderful inventions. And whoever this Watcher dude, person, lady was, even knew about their attempt to have the house torn down. They said, 657 Boulevard survived your attempted assault and stood strong with its army of supporters barricading its gates. My soldiers of the boulevard followed my orders to a T. They carried out their mission and saved the soul of 657 Boulevard with my orders. All hail the watcher. The letter also took another creepy turn and more, you know, more, more threats. He said that revenge could come in different forms. Quote, maybe a car accident, maybe a fire, maybe something as simple as a mild illness that never seems to go away, but makes you feel sick day after day after day after day after day. Maybe the mysterious death of a pet, loved one suddenly die, planes and cars and bicycle crashes, bones break, end quote. He even mentioned the renter, which creeped the renter out, but he decided to stay. He didn't want to move again as long as there were cameras installed at the house. Why weren't there already? Oh my gosh. And the woods, back to them, and in a in a response to the Broadduses filing this legal complaint against them, the Woods filed a counterclaim, but all of it was thrown out of court in 2019. 
And I mean, it'd been five years. They'd been paying this mortgage on this house they weren't living in for five years. And there was so much emotional pain wrapped up in this house for them. So that year, 2019, they finally sold it to a couple named Allison and Andrew Carr, and they took a $400,000 loss. And as far as what was in the walls, the home inspector told Derek that the only thing in the walls was not in the walls. There was no insulation. That was it. That was all that was wrong with the walls. And there, it's unresolved. So there are tons of theories. Some say that this was all a scam that was drummed up by Derek after experiencing buyer's remorse. I don't know. That could make sense. But why wouldn't he just sell it? Why invent this story that's going to make people not want to buy it? I don't know. It just seems like a really drastic way to try to get out of this house that you bought. And you're like, oh, never mind. This is too much. And then they put all those those renovations in. I don't know. I want to hear your thoughts. I want to hear your theories. I love stories like this. I really want answers. It drives me crazy not to have them, but I love speculating and I love hearing theories. So tell me what you think. I've got all the links for you to get in contact with me in my in the show notes. I'm on Instagram at the story of pod. You can check out my website for pictures and links to these stories at thestoryofpod.com. Have a great week. Take care of yourself. I will see you next time. Bye.